G'day. Welcome to Radio Notes. I'm John Murch, producer and host of... A weekly podcast released on a Sunday that looks into those in music, talk life, and those in life, chat music, and more. Also broadcast in some parts of the world on the wireless via digital FM and AM, and to you, a very special welcome. And thank you very much after episode one for your feedback. It's very much appreciated, and in these first ten, as I'm still moulding a few bits and pieces, greatly appreciated. I don't know whether the person that I wrote Hardway would know that it was about them. Man, it was therapeutic. That's Eliza Hull talking about one of the songs of her EP, How We Disappeared. She's our feature guest today, and also we'll hear from... I only play one instrument, and that is the didgeridoo. And I'm not Indigenous, but I started playing at drama school and really found it quite relaxing. The musical stylings of comedian Lawrence Mooney. And we'll also find out what's been happening with the charts. And the Billboard magazine just came in as well for the week. I'll uh, give you a little preview of that as well. But first... In the box. Chance to share some of the emails that have come across my desk in the last few days, including... Top of the box, Sam Smith and Normani. Dancing with a Stranger is out through EMI. They say it's a smooth slice of sultry R&B influenced pop where Sam and Normani's vocals effortlessly glide over the production. Drunk Talk by Jack Gray is out through Warner Music, fresh off touring with a guy called Dean Lewis and his sold-out tours of the UK, Europe and Australia. And from Universal, Lana Del Rey. Hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, but I have it. That is the title of the song. Just repeating, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have, but I have it. Not as long as Fiona Apple's title of her album, but getting there. Also more locally to where I am, I noticed the Hilltop Hoods have released the track listing of their next album. This is the one that features that summer hit, Leave Me Lonely. There are collaborations with Timberwolf and Rule to name just two. Let's head now to our feature guest. Eliza Hull is a composer, vocalist and sound design artist who has released How We Disappeared, an EP produced by John O'Steer, which features Hardway, Rewind and Going Soon. Eliza has performed at Central Park in New York, the Natural History Museum in London and also at a fashion show put on by Carly Finlay. As well, Eliza has had television syncs on shows Teen Wolf, Awkward and Saving Hope. Hull recently produced a series for the ABC called We've Got This, Parenting with a Disability. Let's join John and Eliza Hull as they take a look at the EP and decisions made in the lead up to its release. Eliza Hull, welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you for having me. A number of singles have been released of an EP which was released back in September called How We Disappeared. I'll get to the we and the disappeared and the how of that question a little later in the piece. But before I do so, you're a musician who started music at the age of five. You started writing at 13. Your first gig was at 14, and then you decided to move to Melbourne at 18. And I believe at that point, decided music would be it. It was a complete accident that I started singing. So it was, as you said, started when I was five years old. But it was kind of this fluke accident where I was walking down the corridor in primary school and one of the other students had pulled out 
from the singing competition, the local singing competition in Aubrey, Wodonga, where I grew up. And the teacher just yelled out, I was like, Eliza, Eliza, will you come and fill in, please? I guess she knew that I was a pretty, you know, extroverted, confident kid and was like, yeah, I'll do it and ended up winning a gold medal, which is kind of funny and looking back now. Yeah, that was the beginning. And then I just loved it. I loved performing, given a piano as a teenager by a lady who passed away. And she left that for me and I just sat there and really it was just a way to get out kind of what I was feeling, you know, how we all go through teenage heartbreak and kind of dealing with growing up and used it as a bit of an outlet. And I I guess I have for the rest of my life. Were you also given some music at the same time, some sheet music or some other little nicks and knacks that came with the piano? I think no I don't think I was I think it really just was a piano but I mean I was um, learning how to play and going to lessons and I had a couple of singing lessons but didn't really love it I think the theory of music has been a love-hate relationship with me sometimes it's probably now actually more and more appreciating that and learning more but back then I was probably a bit rebellious which I regret and just wanted to really just write lyrics that I was feeling at the time and play by ear and um, so I wasn't really reading music back then a little bit but you know more later in life I've gone back to it and realized the importance of that. Do you feel that the rebelling wasn't worthwhile? No it wasn't worthwhile I wish I had of just I guess listen to my mother (laughs) dare I say that Uh, she always said you know just keep learning and go to your lessons and Yeah, I don't know why. I guess it was just, you know, to be honest, the theory just made it a bit stale and um, I I was all about the emotion and all about getting out that kind of raw feelings. I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't about learning what music, you know, the theory behind it, whereas now I am. So writing music at 13 and a year later that first gig, can you talk us through that first gig? Yeah, so the first gig was in Aubrey and it was for a youth festival. I think it was just that first time of realising hey, this is really for me and I feel at home on stage. You know, you still get nervous before going on but when you're on stage and you're just in the moment and you're just giving it all you've got, it was like, okay, this is where I belong. And just the audience reaction and it's kind of like you've given so much of yourself that you're like you've become empty which is really nice feeling it's a strange thing to say but yeah you feel kind of emptied like you've given it you've given your emotion you've given your feelings and that's quite a nice peaceful feeling after performing does that give you a sense to or an avenue I should say to rebuild yourself after a performance yeah yeah I guess yeah and I think after the performance it takes a little while to, to recover like you feel as I said you feel kind of empty and tired and then you start to rebuild and then you just get hungry again to go on stage but often like this sounds odd as well but often before I'm about to go on stage I often think why am I doing this to myself like it is so nerve-wracking I just feel like I just want to go home and go to bed and you know go and crawl into my little safe spot and then um I often get on stage and that's when it's like, okay, this is why I do it. And then you realise that that's 
I guess it's, a, it's a quite addictive, really. You've supported the likes of Katie Noonan, Mia Dyson, some other fabulous performers who put their heart every time on the line. Has that brought some inspiration or some guidance on why you might actually do that every time? Yeah, they're incredible performers and they're so vulnerable on stage. And the yeah, the last time I supported Katie Noonan, I just watched the way that she interacted with her audience and I got really inspired actually because it was heartfelt lyrics and it is emotional. But then in between her songs, she just kind of became your friend, started talking and telling you about the songs. And, yeah, I really liked that kind of personable approach in between songs where you really get to know the person. Whilst Katie's lyrics are very concise by the time we hear it, it does feel like an open diary when she's sharing those songs. Were you much of a diarist? Yes, I definitely was. I've still got them all. There's, goodness, there's probably like 50 or 60 diaries. And unfortunately I've stopped and I'm not sure. I just can't seem to find, either find the time or the energy. To, you know, that's that's probably a lie. I can find the time. You can always find the time. I guess I just haven't found the right space for it at the moment. Is there also a level of vulnerability now as an adult doing those kind of things, particularly in this sort of online world where you're kind Mm. of aware of where words can go and what they can do if they're released, even though you're writing them on a page and not on a blog? Yeah, I think you're right there. I think we've become too aware of what we're writing um, potentially. And when you're a teenager, you you have to write. It's not a choice. You have to get that out because you've got so much going on. Whereas potentially now I might have the mind space and the, um, I guess, you know, when you grow up, you can kind of clear those things without needing to write them down. But I, I really miss that. I think that I need to get back into it. And I've literally just kept buying new journals like, oh, maybe if I get this journal, I'll write. I'll get this one because it's got a purple cover and that's definitely going to make me write. <laughs> and I just haven't yet. I'm in my home studio looking across at my collection of, I'm not a writer, so I'm looking at my collection of notebooks and moleskins and going, ah, pretty, empty as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've got 50 tomes there, so 50 volumes, so to speak, of writing. Yeah. At any time, have you delved into them for lyrical inspiration or even just solace? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of them, that's where lyrics started. And I've even gone back and looked at something I've written years and years and years ago and gone, wow, that's that is actually how I feel right now. And then use that. So yeah, absolutely. That's why they're great. Is that a sense because you've buried it or because it just is what it is? A memory? Um, I guess it's, yeah, it takes you back to that time. And then when you can also relate that time to now, that's when it becomes, I, I feel quite poignant. That's that's what it's really there for, isn't it? We'll get into more songwriting very soon with our guest Eliza Hull, but you moved to Melbourne, as I mentioned, at the age of 18, which I'm sure was either very, very scary or the most exciting high adrenaline thing you ever did. Uh, both. I remember packing my car and I left at 17 because that's I started school early. So by the time I finished year 12, I was 17. And you, really, it's quite young, 17, when you think about it. And I remember just packing my car just with everything. And I'd Cheryl Crow, you know, that song, Every Day is a Winding Road. <laughs> Put that on full blast, you know, drove down the Hume Highway. And just, I was so excited and ready for, like, for freedom and for to become an individual away from my family. But then when I got 
there yeah it was daunting and I didn't have much money and I um remember putting like I didn't know how to cook and so I put a plate in the like a plastic plate in the oven Mm -hmm. plastic just like dripped out of the oven I'm like what you can't put plastic in the oven (laughs) but that's how naive and young I was for some of us it's the alfoil in the microwave which is even more spectacular light wise (laughs) you're heading down the Hume highway was it to an educational life or was there something else planned for you at 17 18 yeah, I don't think my mum would have let me go if it hadn't have been that I was enrolled in uni. I was enrolled in a Bachelor of Media. My whole idea was that I'd become a journalist, potentially a radio announcer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then I kind of realised I needed to do music. So deferred and deferred and constantly kept deferring. I ended up completing it, but it was over a huge amount of years. So I ended up meeting loads of people as, um, and then they graduated and I kept going because I kept doing it part-time. Was there a gap year in there, six-month period, where you said, nah, I, I am taking a break from uni. It is going to be all about the music. I took a one-year break and then went back part-time. And that one year, yeah, I played loads of gigs. I started a rock band. We played heaps at the like a venue called remember the ESPY. It's just about to open, actually. I remember the carpet of the ESPY. Because one of my yeah. bands was performing there. Victoria Bitter is one of the most stickiest substances to have in a carpet. But yes, I do remember the SP. <laughs> yeah. And that was when you could smoke. Remember that? That's... Yes, I do remember yeah. that. So yeah, I've done a couple of things. So first of all, I did a, a rock band called Show Day Early, it was called. Then fell in love with drum and bass, so like an electronic dance music. Started kind of rapping and singing with DJs which was very early morning stuff. (laughs) Was that the late 90s or where was that at? Oh, no, that would have been uh, about 2006. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. That scene had definitely established itself and it was going in that new direction. Yep, really big at that time. And then I was like, I love acoustic kind of rock music and I love electronic music, so how do I combine those two elements? And then that was the band that I started and was called Describe Eliza. That band went really well. Like it actually, yeah, as a live outfit, it went really, really well. Um, we used to have gigs that were sold out every week, one at the SB every week, one at the Evelyn, and then we did launches at the Hi-Fi Bar and they were just always packed. And I think it was not necessarily that the the songs were great. It was actually just that it was really danceable and mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. You've had syncs on Saving Hope, Teen Wolf, as well as mm. Awkward and many others. When did that start? Mm. Because I have a feeling you are one of the first kids off the block when it came to that kind of thing in getting um, your music synced. Was that the case, one of the first mm. of the Australian ones to sort of have their Not finger sure. in that pie? Not sure. I mean, that was through really that, you know, I owe a lot to, you know, Hayden Kellner. Yeah. You would I owe a lot to him. It really started from his connection. So he signed with a company called Music Alternatives in America. And then I did a duet with Hayden, which was one of my songs called Ghosts. And then he produced a lot of my records, like my album. And then yeah, he's I guess that group in America then heard about me through Hayden. That's how all that kind of came about. Did you get a sense that your music would ever end up in film or television? Was that one of the avenues you thought it would end up in those early days? That was like the biggest dream for me. And that band that I was just talking about, 
I was called Describalizer, we did a competition and there was a, a guy there that had done a lot of directing for film. And I'll never forget, he said to me, like, that is definitely where your music's going to go. And I remember, yeah, thinking at that moment, yeah, I think he's, he, he's right. That's really where I've wanted it to go and a big dream when I saw that on TV. It was like, wow, that's, you know, you, all your 15-year-old dreams have come true. And now I'm writing music for a feature film, which is incredible. Is that still under wraps? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Can you give us a sense of what sort of music are you writing for it? Is it score music? Is it songs per se? Can you just give us a bit of a vibe without saying what it's for? Uh, I think, yeah, a bit of both. I'm not asking you to describe the film. I'm interested in what your part of it is. More songs, but then, yes, I guess score elements in the sense that there'll be in more instrumental pieces that I wouldn't would normally not do, and little elements like you know little drones and electronic sounds that you are there to bridge the scenes together, and which yeah. gives me a sense that you're getting to be hands on sound wise in what you provide with the film. Your music's actually more of a forethought as the scenes are being done. Is that the case? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So that's really the yeah, next step up from getting a sync. Yeah, I guess. And I, I'm trying to, you know, I used to be just a, like I'd compose on just piano and sing and now I'm, yeah, trying to take on some of those uh, roles that potentially a producer used to take on for me, like getting to know recording software and getting to know how to, right you know using all different synths and sounds and yeah if it's okay with you i want to refer to an article you wrote in april of 2018 regarding disability from the age of five are you okay to talk Mm. about this yeah absolutely charcot marie tooth disorder yeah it's called charcot marie tooth a lot of people think when you say tooth that it's your teeth but it's nothing to do with your teeth it's that was the um, name of it, and they're the three founding French doctors. So their last name was Mr. Charcot, Mr. Murray, and Mr. Tooth. It's a nerve disorder. It's in kind of like the MS family. Mm-hmm. Basically, that your peripheral nervous system, there's holes in the myelin sheath. It's kind of this is all technical term, but and they're not sending the right messages to your brain. It can affect people in very different ways. For me, it affects me. I walk with, um, I guess you could say, an unusual gait. I need rails to get upstairs. I fall over a bit. Opening up jars is hard. Like my legs are freezing, even on a summer's day. Um, so it is, yeah. They're, they're kind of the symptoms. And for a very, very long time, and I, I think especially in the music industry, I've just have never like talked about it and I have I've hidden it because I thought I needed to so when I've ever met someone that uh, you know like a booking agent or a potential manager I've always made sure that I was sitting down so they didn't see me walk a lot of my audience hasn't known so I've made sure that I'm always on stage when the curtain opens or I don't you know walk around much and I guess, yeah, it was just a, a coping mechanism and just thinking that that's the way to go with it. You've also said in that piece that you're thankful and proud for having a disability because it gives you a chance to own it. And you want the yeah. music still, though, of course, and that's why I want to move on soon, to speak for itself. And we'll be speaking more about the music in a moment. I, I want to know how much for you 
you want to see yourself as a musician versus advocate versus how does that then fit into your narrative? For example, I saw uh, Rudely Interrupted and Tim Rosso backing you regarding a performance on Q&A. Mm. Those kind of spaces you'd like to now claim could be part of? I think the most important thing that we've got to realise is that, you know, like if, for instance, if we're watching a film and we see a disabled actor, right? Mm. Why does the story have to be about that person that has the disability in terms of how they got the disability or that it's tragic or that it's, why can't it just be that that person with a disability is like a murderer or a jealous wife or an athlete or I don't know, like just all different, I'm just thinking different characters. A detective looking yeah. out, a, out a rear window or something. Yeah, like why does it always have to be about the disability? Why can't it be more about the person just having a disability and then it's about the other spaces? That's where I really want to go. I want to be proud of it. I want to talk about it, but I want to be a musician. Yeah, I want to be a musician with a disability. How, how do you be proactive at the same time as not falling into that, that rhythm that society's decided, well, this is how how it's going to be. If you want to talk about your disability, then you're disabled and a musician. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm still trying to work that out and I guess it's just um, about time and I've only just started talking about it and I guess every time I've done an interview since then, it's it's definitely been one of the questions, which I'm okay with. I think that's great. And I think the more we talk about disability, the better. Like these conversations need to happen. But there are, I guess there's also other spaces that I'm working in that world. At the moment, I just got a job with the ABC and I'm making a podcast series for the ABC about disability. I want to write a book. I definitely want to write a book. So I guess there'll be other ways that my disability is um, at the spotlight, whereas with my music, yeah, I guess it's, it's my music. Just final question on this, and by all means, if you wish to bring the issue up again, I'm happy for you to include it in the conversation because that's important. You wrote also on the ABC's Ramped Up, sometimes it's easier to ignore a part of yourself out of fear. Now, that's not just in disability, is it? That's in all aspects of of revealing oneself. Yeah, and it is easier. It it is, it does, well... Is it? It's a question. It's a good question. Is it easier? It feels easier at the time. Now that I've actually spoken about it, it's easier. Now, like, you know, I went, I had a gig, a couple of gigs recently, and it was like really nice just knowing that I could walk into the space. And I knew that the people that were, you know, some part of the show had read the about it online. And yeah, so it was just like, wow, this is great. I don't have to hide. And even though I probably never did have to hide, I felt like I did. And so, now I just, you know, I can walk in front of people and it's okay. It's, it's been really good for me. We're currently in conversation with Liza Hull. She has been named the inaugural winner of the Regional Storyteller Scholarship 2018. Six months in Bendigo, I think, is part of the prize, the award, the prestige. Just being a storyteller must be exciting for you. But can you talk to us about this? I had this idea. I had been reading a book called The Divided Heart, which is a book by Rachel Power about being a mother and being a creative and so in that was like Claire Bowditch and a lot of incredible musicians and actors and storytellers and there was their interviews with these artists telling how they balance creative life and um, being a mother and my idea was kind of to be inspired by that and 
tell the stories of mothers and fathers with disabilities and to do it in a way that isn't about the issues but instead is just accurate representations of their personal home life so that we get a real sense of who they are and by knowing these people, some of these stigmas that some people may have about these people will be lost. That's my hope. And so I had that idea and then when I saw the Regional Storyteller Scholarship, I went for it with this idea and they, yeah, they chose me, which was incredible. It's now going to be an eight-part audio series that's going to be on Radio National's Life Matters and then turn into feature articles online. So I'm doing, I'm going in between working from Bendigo and Melbourne at the moment. What's the biggest challenge you've been finding or have found of being a parent with a disability? Probably like more of the public response, you know, without saying names, but some family members potentially being worried about how I would handle it. And then also when you're down the street and your daughter falls over and, you know, she's at the age now where she's three and a half and I can't carry her and she's crying and everyone's like, why aren't you carrying her? But they don't understand that that's why. So those kind of looks that you get or um, I remember when she was a one-year-old and she was really wanting me to hold her and I walked into the supermarket and fell over. And, yeah, so I guess it's those public looks that you get them you know wondering what's going on so I think that's in a sense been one of the hardest through that do you look ahead at the times where you'll be able to share the narrative with her and uh, she'll be able to uh, encourage and support yeah absolutely I that's my hope I we definitely talk a lot about disability in this house and she's three and she knows all about it so that to me is great. I feel like she's really so like aware of disability and people with disabilities and we have these conversations in our home and I hope that that will make her proud one day, definitely. Speaking about children, I believe you're working on some children's music maybe on hold with this current project in uh, Bendigo, but talk us through if you can about what this is about. Working on some children's music with an Australian author is this top secret. Mm. I think it kind of is actually, unfortunately. Ah! She <laughs> she's a very well known author and Oh, Mem Fox, great to know. Uh, no, no. Sim- very similar, similar. Okay. Yeah. Sounds really silly to, for it to be a top secret, but it, yeah. A lot of top secret stuff happening. It's kind of cool. I'm, <laughs> that's only my only top secret. <laughs> Let's see what we can answer out of this piece. And the first question I had was whether or not they were a children's author. Okay, yeah, so they're, they're, they're an Australian yeah. children's author, but you're yeah. working on some music to go with that. Yeah, we still haven't worked out the ins and outs, but she just found my music online and she used to just sit in the car and listen to it and write to me as she was listening to it and be like, this is what I like about it. This is my favourite song. I'm listening again. I'm listening again. It was really lovely and then she kept coming to shows. A genuine connection with the music you're making and her writing, or at least her life, yeah. this combo yeah. to come about. Yeah, exactly. And she's re- yeah really keen to do it. And we don't we don't know how it's going to work. Whether it's going to be a CD that you get in the back of the book, or sounds that you push throughout the book. But it's yeah, it's going to be more for like a young teenage audience. Whoa, mind blown. Yeah, sounds you push, interactiveness. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't want to push you any more about that because obviously I don't want to get you in trouble. But speaking about books, and you've kind of mentioned it already, but I'm going to just throw this quote back at you and you can shiver or shake or respond accordingly. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. Now, everyone says they're going to write a book. Where are you at? When you probably read that, it would have been me talking about that I wanted to write a book that I'm with the idea I'm doing now. So that's yeah. the parents. Yeah. So I was going to go out and interview parents with disabilities and talk about my personal story about being a mother with a disability. That probably still can happen after this series comes out and yeah, it could potentially be turned into a book. But on top of that, I still want to write some sort of, yeah, personal story. Yeah. I've got a lot of stories to tell um, without saying too much, but I, yeah, I feel like that's something I really want to do. I just don't know when. <laughs> Definitely want to do it one day. What's been the most exciting thing about releasing your music, EPs, albums and the like, up to this point? Hmm. Hearing what the audience thinks of it, getting those messages, you know, the feedback where you get that one or email that says, you know, you helped me through that time or mm-hmm. that, that to me is what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. That, that's the most exciting part. Your collaborator has been Jono Steer for the previous releases, including the single Hard Way. What's that collaboration like? What's that professional chemistry, let's say? We're just really close friends and I trust him. He puts in a lot of hard work, more than he needs to, and he cares a lot. Yeah, I think that having that trust and that friendship makes it definitely more enjoyable and worth it (laughs) and you know we work long hours together so to be able to get along is for me like the key and we do the ep is called how we disappeared yeah released in september of 2018 you felt there needed to be a change how did you make music the catalyst for that change or was music not involved initially Yeah, the change was about growing up for me and moving away from Melbourne and slowing down and I feel like the music was like needed to reflect that. Yeah, in it being like slightly less, you know, less electronic and slightly less busy with like not as many layers, um, which you'll find in some of the next tracks I'm about to release, they needed to reflect that, that change and so it did. When you look at the material that you've put into this EP, is it giving you solace at the recording studio stage or do you think it's when you perform it again and again is where the solace will come from, the moving on? Mm, Yeah, the performing and the moving on, definitely. Yeah, even the the finishing of it and the closure of that is is where I get that from. It was recorded live with a band. My understanding is recorded live with a band, like in a studio at the Newmarket mm-hmm. Studios. Having five of us in different little individual kind of sections of the studio in little booths, and then just literally just performing it live, which yeah, I feel like you get you know something real about it is through doing it that way. That's what I wanted to try and capture. So, and also it's so much quicker. It's um. Instead of sitting there for months and sometimes even years and just trying to perfect the one sound over and over or with electronic beats, it's so 
it, it is so time consuming and I actually just realized that I didn't you know for this record I just didn't have the the space for that so that's kind of one of the other reasons I did it like that is there some blemishes on this record that you'll come to love because it's recorded live yeah yeah definitely like I was just listening to um some of the final mixes just before I spoke to you and you can hear the guitarist breathing <laughs> yeah you can hear him breathing and I like it you know it's it makes it human Yes. Well, some people put heartbeats in their recording. I had the pleasure of speaking with Tillman Robinson, the composer, puts things like that obviously into his recording. And that's obviously things like Dear Heart was one of his releases that relied on that. We touched on it earlier and I want to ask directly this question. Is there a writing space for which this material was written? Was there a desk? Was there a holiday retreat that this material was written at? It was all written here in Castlemaine. When I'm pretty much when I first moved here and I've got this little studio at the back mm-hmm. of my house and it's got my piano in there and my organ and, yeah, that was where I wrote all of the EP. Could you possibly give us a picture of the EP and how it forms its arc? One's called Valentine, which was – I love it because, you know, when you think of Valentine, you think of, like, a relationship love, you know, for to be somebody's valentine but it was actually a play on that word in that my daughter was born on valentine's day it's about her but it's kind of like a dream it's a song that takes my daughter and i through the snow meeting her and some of the lyrics um kind of done in like a poetic way but some of the lyrics are actually quite literal where i say you know i can hear you calling my name in the d- dead of the night that actually is the literal sense that I could, you know, when she's a baby she and or growing up, she was just calling my name. And But I like that people may relate to that in other ways and it more, might be more about relationships for them. Have you as a mother-daughter experienced the snow yet? No, but I want to. This I was actually just saying that I really want to go to the snow. So hopefully this season, because it's right near where I grew up in Albrewodonga. Mm-hmm. Track number two. Going soon. Literally about going soon, about leaving the city and moving away and feeling a little bit torn by that decision and hoping that that wasn't going to, you know, you have a lot of fire and excitement when you live in the city and it was just like looking back and hoping that by moving away I wasn't going to lose that. When you arrived in the country, what was that first feeling you got from arriving in the country? Yeah, like I think I was a little bit um, scared that I was going to miss out. I think I miss out on gigs and life in Melbourne and miss out on my friends, but I haven't regretted it at all and it's been just really good for me and been good for my writing and... Yeah, I've loved it. Made great friends here. And there is such an art culture here as well, so I haven't felt like I've missed out. Yeah, I remember when I first sat in this house and just felt, I guess, like still and peaceful would be the words that I felt. A healthier lifestyle, though? Definitely a healthier lifestyle, yeah. You know, from food upwards, fresh air and everything else? Yeah, and even just mentally, like you just have more space. It's great. Yeah, needed it. Cut number three. Called Rewind. It's about 
Um, I know. It's about VHS videos and make sure you rewind them before <laughs> turning them. That's what it's about. No, it's not. That's kind of what I wanted the feeling to be like. There's a little bit of a synth in there that kind of gives that. What was your first VHS, do you think? Charlotte's Web. Is Rewind a dark song? Yeah, it's probably the most mellow and it's dark. And it kind of starts with a memory that I have of being um, reckless teenager, young adult, and being at a party with a group of friends. And so it starts there and then it kind of moves on to now. And then kind of just, you know, being nostalgic and looking back, going, well, who am I now? And the formulation of what those memories have made you become? Yeah, absolutely. Finding closure in that. Okay, if you're not listening to a live broadcast and can use your hands, pause, then download right now How We Disappeared and listen to Rewind. Okay, you're back? or still there? Great. Let's continue. We're currently in conversation with Eliza Hull. While we're talking about the visual and the memories, let's talk about the film clips a conscious decision of what the visual representation of your music would be, particularly with this new EP and where you want to take it? I don't know whether you've seen the visuals of the front cover of Hardware, but it's of like these little houses. That's one part of it being visual with the EP. So you'll see when the next single comes out, it's a, a kind of alteration of that first artwork and it's to represent the the hard way it was set in the city so all those buildings are like the city life and then things gradually change and it becomes more kind of country life and then right at the end it's a one tiny house and that's where I disappeared to the hard way clip where I have the brides in the back of the car is also a play on that in that you have these visuals of your life that you'll, you know, get married and settle down and it's a play on that and realising that that person that I thought he was, he he really wasn't. And we didn't end up getting married and yet that element still haunts me. I feel a lot and I use the past to write write about and so by looking back I go back to those times and so therefore that's how it still carries into my present. You mentioned the we moved out of the city but at the same time the title is how we disappeared which would suggest that there was a separation between city and retreat. Yeah so now I live here with my partner and we how we disappeared is him him and I how we left yeah so it's actually more positive than what I was thinking totally yeah you're in a happier place now than you may have been from the material for which you're currently sourcing for the release yeah definitely absolutely you know there's one song it's that's the next song that is on is called uh, how do I get back to you and that's actually about my partner and I because now we go to number four and this is the happy place isn't it it is. Just realising that relationships are not always easy, but they're when they're worth fighting for, they're worth fighting for. You just go up and down and being okay with that. I had a conversation with Kathleen Mary Lee and she was suggesting if she was ever happy, she'd never be able to write again. Mm. Does happiness mean that you'll be limited in your writing ability? No, not for me because I just go back to the past and sort all that out and that the past still affects me I still dream about the past um I guess I don't forget it 
and it still lingers for me and I've had a lot of experiences that I can draw upon. Still so many that I haven't even touched on. Is there a stack of songs that you're saving for an LP? Is there a particular stack that uh, are hidden away? Uh, yeah, there's, I've still got lots that I can draw upon and I'll I'll definitely do an album, potentially the next one. I've just applied for more funding for a, an LP, so we'll see. And is that more con- is that more conceptual as well? Is there like a, a concept that you you want to dive into for an, an album over an EP? I probably want to touch on more about you know not political stuff, but more like social stuff. I'd like mm-hmm. to comment on. I love listening to Camp Cope and what they've commented on about gender diversity in the music industry. Jen Clower is another one that I really love, and she writes a lot about stuff that's going on you know in the world and her community I think it's really effective I think it really yeah you feel it when you hear it sung and when you first discovered her and how she fits into that musical journey yeah my current partner introduced me to her and fell in love with her style and her songs and I love um when she did you ever hear when they paired up with um Liz Stringer and Mia Dyson and they did Dyson Stringer Claw. Yeah, I did see that tour. It was yeah. fantastic. That I saw that live at the Manian Town Hall and just that was an incredible show because I love all three of those singers. I'm a huge Mia Dyson fan as well. What is in your studio space? What's the vital ingredients that makes up Eliza Hull's studio space? Mm, something living <laughs> like plants, candles, nice ambient lighting, um, my old piano that got shipped from my hometown of Wodonga, that old lady that passed away gave me is sitting in there, an old church organ. I now I've got heating in there as well, so I've got no excuses not to go out there. <laughs> Eliza Hull, exciting time. You are the inaugural winner of the Regional Storyteller Scholarship 2018. You are working with a children's author to do some music that you can't talk about. You are integrating with a big (laughs) film that we'll find out about very soon. But most excitingly, I guess from a personal level for you, it's sharing some of those words from those 50 or so volumes with How We Disappeared, the EP. Thank you very much for joining Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. Eliza Hull. Latest EP called How We Disappeared and has numerous other projects on the boil. To keep up to date with those, Eliza can be found online at elizahull.com. Martin Frawley's solo debut album is due out on February the 22nd. Undone at 31 is its title and it's out through Merge Records. Recorded over three weeks with an experimenting middle to the time in the recording studio. You may well know Frawley from the Twerps. This work is next level of and marks a year things unraveled for them. Available now on pre-order, including the blue-white marble vinyl. One out in March, also pre-order now, is Stella Donnelly's Beware of the Dogs. Hailing from the west of Australia, first two tunes available now give both vibe and lyrical palette. They're called Old Man and Boys Will Be Boys. Not just topical, but has an element of the likes of Lily Allen that drive important societal commentary and reflection. After a tour of Oz, we'll be heading off for an international tour, including the radio walled The Drake Hotel on March 24th with Faye Webster. Oh, apart from Courtney Barnett being mentioned in President Obama's top songs of the last year, Barnett did a three-hour show on the BBC in recent days. That's still online to listen to. And a side note, Witch Rot have new tea. The band seems to break up, then like strong attracting magnets, get back together, even after the internal shenanigans.
The Old Soul, so they've been called, from Adelaide, South Australia, Beck Stevens LP, Why Don't You Just, out on pre-order, and to say folks are pumped is an understatement as to why, well, I'll share that if we're lucky enough to get a chat with. Okay, I'll spill one bean. The imagery of the first cut, They Don't Build Cars Like This Anymore, is the kind of tune that keeps company at any hour of the clock. Finally, the Lazy Susans, not to get confused with Lazy Susan, they're a different band, or for that matter, Lazy Susans, they're a comedy duo, previously known as Antonia and the Lazy Susans, have released a cut called Are You OK, spelt like the Awareness Day, as well have just signed to Resist Records with their music, recorded, produced and mixed by Sam Johnston, Camp Cope and the Smith Street Band. They're originally from the Blue Mountains, but these days have found their ways south. For more details, including the links for some of these, radionotespodcast.com. Mentioned at the top of the episode during In the Box, Namadi, this week's Billboard magazine on their cover, has them there as their 2019 predictions. New Year, New Namadi, her plans to kill it as a solo star. And under that, Spotify goes hard. Just two of the articles on the front cover. Since the Billboard charts did come out today, a quick look at who's in at number one. Halsey, without me, that's been at number two for the last two weeks. Time now to dive into the archives. Lawrence Mooney. One of Australia's favourite comedic engagers as a broadcaster for the last few years in radio. In 2019, the namesake of Triple M Sydney's brand new breakfast show, Moon Man in the Morning. A few years ago, I caught up with Lawrence at the back of the Adelaide Festival Theatre and we had a chat about music. Tears for Fears, good memories of this band? Oh, yes. And especially around the mid, uh, mid-80s. You know, I'm 19... 20 i'm 21 i'm hearing um tears for fears for the first time mad world and one of my favorite songs of all time everybody wants to rule the world and then head over heels and shout songs from the big chair and uh i I fell in love with them and i kind of fell in love with pop seriously for the first time around that around that time I'd been a bit of a Skyhooks fan in the 70s, but really pop started to meld with my personal life. And so a bit of falling in love, a crush here, maybe a fumbled sexual attempt there. And, you know, Mondo Rock is present, Tears for Fears, The Cars. Did you reinvent your musical ear? What I mean by that is you had a genre of music or an understanding of music and then as you said love and other things came about and you changed things. Yeah, and is what I mean by it's the first time I really engaged with pop music because prior to that I was a massive Doors fan and I was probably a retro music fan in that I loved music from a previous age. Mm. My brothers, older brothers, were listening to... Dylan and Credence and Neil Young and you know Buffalo Springfield who then became Crosby Stills Nash and Young and so I was listening to a lot of back catalogue. The first time I really set myself aside from my brothers I was 15 years of age so I was 1980 and I bought Sonny Boy's self-titled album Sonny Boy's uh, had Happy Man on it Alone With You Tonight and I fell in love with that band and for me that was Oz Rock. I also loved Aussie Crawl and Sirocco is a fabulous album and I think they're a really good band. 30 odd foot of grunt, do you like it or not? I've no idea what uh, Russell has created there 
and what the band have made so I couldn't make a, a comment one way or another Hello. I've never heard them live and I've never heard anything recorded right. just going from my gut I think calling a band 30 odd foot a grunt you'd need to have some pretty good guitar driven rock in there yeah. and coming out of the 80s into the 90s I really got into guitar driven rock massive UMI fan huge Urge Overkill fan you know Nirvana any of that guitar driven rock of the 90s I was right into UMI particularly that of Tim Rogers there is a man who is rocking it and has now matured can you empathise or sympathise with the the travels that someone like Tim Rogers has made I certainly don't need to sympathise with Tim Rogers Um, I can certainly empathise with moving away from that which made you completely consumable and a massive household name basically you know um, you know an evolutionary state of an artist and moving away from the band you know he's done a lot of solo stuff and he's even moved into writing score for theatre and doing stuff with Malthouse in Melbourne the Malthouse Theatre so yeah I completely understand that but I also understand him returning to his roots and touring with UMI and wanting to grab that magic again which I guess as a rock star might be difficult to grab because you know there's that point in all artists lives where they pass the point of deprivation and they become privileged Mm. and you know it's the deprivation and the striving that makes you hungry and makes you create access that inner world that's for me the uh it's the thesis of the class struggle is that when you're not hungry you don't understand the struggle and if you don't have a struggle in life if you don't yearn for something and battle for it then you've been deprived of the full life the question we've been raising on the show is that of a live music variety show and i want to ask you the question because you work in this live tv space of today can a live variety can that work on television I think there's always a place for music and variety and absolutely live. In fact, Dirty Laundry Live because we wanted to show Australia and show people who are in decision-making positions that music had a place. We used music on Dirty Laundry Live a couple of times during the year and we finished the season with a fabulous rendition of ACDC's TNT by a great ACDC cover band. They've got a a woman as their lead singer but we'd had Robert Darvey on who is world renowned as the greatest Sinatra voice currently we had a, a couple of other live music acts during the year so we were definitely leaning towards the fact that you know we could become a tonight show and we liked to think of Dirty Laundry Live as a tonight show in a sense there was even a part of the year where I broke into song with Eddie Perfect and that was very nice to do because I haven't got a great voice but I love to sing so you know I just had to my eyes adore you though I never laid a hand on you and so I got to sing with Eddie which was great what role does music play in Lawrence Mooney's daily life away from all the lights away from the TV may I say maybe in a more personal intimate space I love to play music and I know when I haven't listened to music enough. What's going on at that point? I'm starting to fizz a bit. I'm starting to think, what is it? I'm getting a bit of something building up in here and 
getting a bit jumpy, getting a bit of cabin fever, and then I put some music on, and immediately it soothes the angry beast. And, you know, that can be anything from what's in the CD player to, you know, sorting through to find something. Where there's probably a stack of CDs that just are on high rotation in our house. Gillian Welsh, Beatles Let It Be. My daughter plays the viola, so I went and saw the Zephyr Quartet at the recital centre. They're getting a bit of a play. Now, they're from Adelaide, of course. Are they? The Zephyr Quartet. I didn't know that they were. Mazzy Star, Miles Davis. Classic, there's jazz. There's a bit of the old country there as well with the the Gillian Welsh as Mm. well. Also, and there is Air Moon Safari and there's a little eclectic pile. And in the drawers beneath are hundreds of CDs. So depending on whether there's a household with wife and children in it or whether I'm on my own, you know, smoking a joint and just chilling out and listening to some Marley. Is there a music performer that you've seen or band that you've seen that have just blown your mind? That's a very good question. I've seen a lot of concerts where I've been a little bit kind of like left cold by the performance. Did you Um, go with high expectations? No, I never go to a concert with high expectations. So just cold, just... I always think, no. The first concert I probably ever went to was at the My Music Bowl in in Melbourne. I was too young to buy a ticket and so went with two other friends. We were 15. It was 1980 and it was ACDC Back in Black. That was fabulous because of probably the magic of being 15 and going to your first concert. I saw the Stones in 2003 at Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne, like fabulously tight. Everyone looked great. The music was fantastic. But probably the best performance I've ever seen was one of those day on the greens, driving rain, Neil Young playing the year before last and standing at the front of the stage with an electric guitar in driving rain playing Hurricane. It was, and we are all on this hillside just holding coats over our heads, freezing, soaked, pissed. And uh, he was amazing. Neil Young, I've seen Neil Young probably four times. And every time it's just fantastic. Lawrence, me, absolute pleasure. John, thank you. And uh, keep listening to Radio Notes, folks. It's where the music is. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.